Okay, April Rose speaking listeners, I have a treat for you today. Um, this will be my last podcast of the season. Um, it's pretty much been leading to this podcast. Um, I've talked about why I started the podcast, um, me going through my domestic violence and my marriage, um, what happened to me during the situation and how I got out of it. And uh, a very essential part of my story is basically a book that I've mentioned and the author who I reached out to and he so graciously accepted my offer to be on this podcast, um, the author Lundy Bancroft, who has countless books. Um, He's also a counselor in domestic violence, and he counsels aggressive men and and guys who may have um, been convicted of abuse or women as well. Um, He can talk about that in a a little bit. But um, a few of the books he have out currently, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, Also, he has a book called When Dad Hurts Mom. And my personal favorite, the one that absolutely changed my life, why does he do that inside the minds of angry and controlling men? So I want to introduce to you Mr. Lundy Bancroft, and I want to thank you for coming. Thank you, Mr. Bancroft. Thank you, Lundy, for coming on the podcast. How are you today? Doing fine and really glad that we get the opportunity to talk about some of these issues. Yes. So before I get started, like, where, where are you in the world? Like, where, where, where do you do your work? Where are you? So I live in New England. I, I, I live in Massachusetts, but I'm primarily now a, a trainer across the U.S. and Canada and occasionally in other countries. I don't do much direct service work anymore. And so I, I go everywhere. Wow. Wherever, so you travel. Wherever you live, I've probably been not too far from you. <laughs> okay. You may be. Well, you need to come down. I'm in New Orleans right now, which is part of my story why I left. And um, yeah, I I love New Orleans. So hopefully if you ever visit, you know, you can contact me and we could go out and have some coffee. Sounds good. (laughs) Okay. So I want to ask some questions. Um, You know, I I just when I got this book, um, there were prosecutors who, you know, and you know, this whole story back and forth. You know, I almost tried to bow out pressing charges against my husband and one of the prosecutors brought me in her office and handed me your book it was like gold I didn't know it at the time but I just absolutely just breathed all the way in all of the information um and I I read it in less than a week and I pretty much made my decision after that book that I really needed to get out of my situation um so I want you to try to tell the listeners, first of all, like maybe your background, like what do you, you actually do? Like what got you in this path of domestic violence and, and writing books? Like, could you tell my listeners about your, your path of how you got to where you are today? Well, I this, I could tell the story so many different ways, but I think probably what makes most sense is to say that I'm someone who grew up with a lot of women really important in my life, in my life. You know, my big sisters were really important to me. Uh, I had aunts that were really important to me. So I just, I just grew up with, with key women that I was close to and key women role models for me. Mm-hmm. And so I was really interested in a, as an adult man in doing some kind of work that was going to be beneficial to women and to support the women that I care about in my life. And so when I learned about programs for men who abuse women, I thought, well, that would be a great place for me to put my energy. I go work on getting these guys to change and get them to stop uh, using violence and all the other tactics that they use to keep their partners intimidated. And 
So I got involved in this program in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Emerge that still exists. It's still there in the Boston area that was willing to train me, even though I didn't have any particular related background. One of the things about domestic violence is that it's it's its own field. It's it's one of these things kind of like I compare it a lot to the substance abuse field in the sense that it's there's no particular school program you can do that gets you ready to work in that field. You really just sort of have to be trained in that field. Like if if you're going to work in substance abuse, you really pretty much have to get trained by a substance abuse program because it doesn't matter what classes you took. They're not going to help you that much. So it's like well, a it's, niche. Like a niche, maybe? It's, it really is. And domestic mm-hmm. violence is the same way. Like people think, oh, well, do you have a psychology background? No. And it doesn't matter. A psychology background actually wouldn't prepare you in any way to work in domestic violence. You have to be trained by a domestic violence program that's willing to train you. So fortunately, I found a program that was willing to take me on. And so, uh, so then for years... I was leading four, five, six groups of abusers per week and also do occasionally doing some individual work. So I worked with just hundreds and hundreds, actually altogether worked with over a thousand abusers wow. directly as their counselor. Mm-hmm. And, and then that in turn led me to understand a lot of other things about abuse, even beyond relationship abuse and uh, understand a lot of things about how violence works. So they, it was a real education for me. Oh, one other key thing I should say in answer to your question, April, is that the that that program and the other abuser programs that I helped out with or or supervised at because I did a bunch of contract supervision for other abuser programs, we always had a policy that the that the man, the participant, could not keep us, could not prevent us from contacting the woman he'd abused. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't, he couldn't use like confidentiality rules or anything. He had to sign a contract with us saying that he wouldn't use those kinds of rules to keep us from talking to her. Mm-hmm. And so that if you were, if I'm really going to tell you the most about what put me on this path, that's what most put me on this path was listening to women tell their stories. When I had the guy in front of me every week for two hours and I could see like, wow, he doesn't look anything like what she's describing. Mm-hmm. He comes off. So Mr. Nice guy, he sounds so reasonable He's minimizing. Then I hear from her what's really gone on. That's what really woke me up. Which is what you bring out in the book is part of the whole manipulation and why I really, really fell in love with this book because so many women are not believed. Um, The guys can be very charismatic. Um, They're the, you know, the fun guys, the guys that, you know, is the life of the party. So when you're telling this really dark side, of what's going on to some people, they just really don't believe you or they question you. Um, so it, we, it, we can get into that a little bit later in the, in the podcast, but you kind of touched on um, the number one thing that actually absolutely changed my mind when I shut the book and I was like, that's it. I'm out of here. I have to figure my way out. And you touched on it in your introduction, but the number one thing in the book that stood out to me is that the men, the, the abusive men, tend to really never change they just change partners so so when I read that you know in my mind I have women that I know who was abused and they wait and they wait and they pray and they hope that this man will change and if they can just make the best meal or that they can just change something within themselves that this man will change and they can live live their life happily ever after so when I read that someone literally popped in my head who I looked up to and I absolutely love and she is still to this day waiting for that person to change. And I said, I will not be this in 20, 30 years. The woman in your book was actually later in life. And she said she wished she had left sooner. 
So you did touch on that. And that's something that you brought out in your introduction. But can you, I don't know, talk about some of the key things in your book that that probably when you talk to women, it kind of hit them in their heart. And I know for me, that's what hit me. Well, and a couple of other things that are, that are illustrated by what you just said. First of all, I think people expect an abuser to look like a mean, violent, kind of ignorant guy. And if, if that's what abusers looked like, abusers wouldn't have partners. The, like, uh, you can only be an abuser by hiding that you're an abuser because no, right. well, no one would ever get involved with you. Right. And so you talk about these guys char- being charismatic. A lot of times they're extra charismatic because otherwise no one would go out with them. Right. And, and so we've really got to start teaching our daughters what to watch out for because we've got them all watching out for the wrong thing. They're looking for some mean, nasty, ugly guy. And we need to tell them, no, you need to watch out for the manipulator. You need to watch out for the guy that's dishonest. You need to watch out for the guy that controls you. I mean, that's the number one thing that I try to spread as I travel around the country is watch out for the guy that controls you. And even if, even if he puts it in a loving package, like, oh, I'm doing this because of how much I love you. It's like, I don't care if it's supposedly because of how much you love me. If it's control, it's bad news. Right. Um, so, so that's a really important message from why does he do that? I think another message is that he's not going to change except by completely facing up to what he's done. Like he has to admit to everything he's done to you and he has to get into uh, an abuser program and there are abuser programs around a lot of the country. Uh, or unfortunately the only other alternative is to get law enforcement involved. And I, for very understandable reasons, a lot of women don't want to get law enforcement involved. But basically what it comes down to, and I hate to say this, but this is just the reality of my experience, is that abusers don't change unless somebody makes them change. They'll make promises over and over and over and over again. And unfortunately, I've never a single time seen those promises, even when he totally means it, even when he totally means it, I have never seen those promises go anywhere because that's not change for an abuser doesn't come from wanting to change. Change from an abuser comes from doing the work. And unfortunately... They're, they're too kind of fundamentally selfish when you come right down to it and too fundamentally disrespectful towards their partners to, to be willing to do the work. So, so what I say when women say, well, how do I know if he means it when he apologizes or how do I know if he means it when he promises to change? I always say, don't worry. It doesn't matter whether he means his apologies or not. It doesn't matter whether he means his promises to change or not because the sincere apologies and the fake apologies Go to the same place. Nowhere. And the, sincere, the sincere promises to change and the fake promises to change go to the same place. Nowhere. The only thing that goes anywhere is actually deciding to work on himself. And most guys don't do any work. He can't change just from like deciding he's going to do better in the future, unfortunately. The only way he can change is by actually going through a whole set of steps that involve admitting, that begin with admitting to everything he's done. I mean, that's the, that's the number one message I would say to your listeners is, until he admits to everything that he's done, he hasn't even begun to do the work. Right, right. And we can talk about this a little bit further. But with me, when I think about it, you know, I I have a podcast that I just released not like a few minutes ago. It's the second part of Freedom from Abuse um, about what happened to me after I, you know, started the journey down here to New Orleans and how I rebuilt my life after the abuse. But with me, I just feel like um, it's a lot of emotions tied to it. And women, for me, 
when I look at it, the reason it's hard for women to break away is because they don't want to paint a picture of this monster, you know, that of what they're going through. But at the same time, we live this life with these men and they're not monsters 24 seven. You know, we, we, we yeah. talk to them and, and they, and, and, and they look human to us and we, we see that they were probably abused as at a young age or where they pick these habits up. So it's really hard. And I say this in my podcast, it's really hard most of the time for women to leave their abusers. People are like, why don't you just leave? He hit you. He's hitting you in front of your children. But we have this emotional tie as women and we tend to go back to our abusers. And that's why I went so far away because I know if I went a state away, my husband would find me. He would knock on the door. He would cry. He would buy me gifts you know, to come back and I have these children that I want to raise and, you know, they're his boys. And I'm like, oh, let me just go back home. So it's this whole convoluted thing that happens. And it's so complicated that people on the outside don't understand why abusive women go back. And, and I think what people are so much underestimating is how emotionally destructive it is to a person to be abused. Uh, whether, whether the abuse is, is primarily physical abuse or whether it's primarily psychological or verbal abuse, or usually it's a mixture of the two, uh, either any, anywhere. Mine was there, financial as well. Financial abuse. A lot yep. of times there's all various kinds of sexual mistreatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, 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 the being treated that way by your partner is so emotionally destructive. People just don't understand that. And so when, when, they, when they see a woman struggling so much, they think, well, why should she be struggling so much? It's, it's like, because of what he's done to her. Right. And the, what, what I try to explain to my audiences is the main reason why it's so hard to get away from an abuser is because of the abuse. And that's, that's a concept that, unfortunately, people who haven't lived it have a hard time wrapping their head around. Right. And what, what, one thing that I say to my audiences is I say... Let's think that you're leaving a relationship for some other reason that's not about abuse. You're leaving, you know, you're re- leaving a relationship for one of all the other reasons why people leave relationships. You're just not getting along or you're not turning out to have enough in common or, uh, or your sexual relationship isn't working or whatever. All the different reasons that people, all the other reasons that people leave relationships. You've got to have, you've got to have money because living, yes. separ- living separately is always going to cost more than living together. Yes. He's, he, he has so often messed you up financially. You have to have self-confidence in order to leave any relationship. But if your partner's abusive, he's probably done huge damage to your self-confidence. You have to uh, have people to talk to because the decision to leave any relationship is really hard. Well, you're trying to leave an abusive relationship. A lot of times he's really messed your relationships up with other people. So you don't have people to talk to much. In other words, exactly the, and I could go through more examples. So exactly the strengths that you need to leave any relationship for any any reason Mm -hmm. Is exactly what the abuser's taken away from you. Taken away from you. And it's such this like like this deep dark hole that you fall in, especially if you have children. There's so many layers to it to where you know, you women may be taking a pay cut from work, you know, and they let the husband be the breadwinner. Or if we do go to work, you know, most of the money goes to daycare if you're from a middle working class family. So the women tends to be at a financial deficit while the men tend to rise, have the power, have the money, you know, and it's like, come on, like, I'm your wife. I gave birth to your kids. You're sitting face to face, eye to eye with these guys. And because of the power structure in the marriage, and they're getting all of these rewards, it's just an absolute nightmare to be in. And And it's so hard for me to verbalize to people unless they've been in it. 
um, for them to understand. But to go back to ask you another question, like you're, you're talking about you talk to an audience or you when you go and speak, like who is your audience? Because to me, honestly, when I sit back and think at night or when I'm alone, I'm like, why wasn't I taught this? Or like, why, why isn't there commercials? Or should it be a very young age? You know how in elementary school, there's like the dare officer and drugs. Like I literally feel at a young age, this should be taught because, you know, I, I literally took my sons to the park maybe two months ago. It was around Easter and I saw a teenager. It was like a group of high schoolers and you know they were coupled up and one went off in one corner and one was over by a tree and I literally watched a young couple and the guy was being super aggressive to her she I could see her saying no and he kind of would grab her from behind the back or you know she'll push away and he'll yank her back and I said these are the signs right here you know she may go home and think it's funny or she may be uncomfortable at the moment but that is absolutely a relationship that will progress if they stay together to abuse so who is your audience and who are you getting this message out to so the 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 people that typically come to the events that i'm speaking at are people somehow in the helping fields so they're going to be social workers they're going to be therapists they're going to be cops i don't know if you exactly want to call that a helping field but they you know they think of themselves as a helping field um uh sometimes people from the legal system like probation officers or uh, okay people people who work in child mm-hmm. protection and, and people who already work in the in the in the bad abuse women's programs you know in the domestic violence programs so uh and, but then sometimes people come because they just heard about the event and so they're there for their own personal reasons because either because of what they're living with or because they've got friends or relatives that they're concerned about that they're wanting to assist <laughs> and and but what fits so much with what you're saying, April, is that things that I say to them that are, to me, such basic understandings are typically brand new to almost everybody yes. in the room. And so the, this level of knowledge, even though there have been domestic violence programs in this country for 40 years and so much effort to spread this word, the, this information has still not gotten out to, you know, but maybe 3% of the people who need to hear it. And the, the another thought that I have from like the example that you just gave about the teens is that I think girls get a lot of messages that they're overreacting and that they, that they not to trust their own inner voices. Oh, you're being too sensitive or you're being hysterical. And so we really need to get the message out to, to girls and young women. Like you're don't, you're not overreacting. You're not hysterical. If it makes you uncomfortable, listen to that. Like what, you, what you're saying, yeah, there's a good chance that girl left that interaction in, in the park feeling pretty uncomfortable. And I bet she did. Uh-huh. But she's also going to be telling herself, oh, I shouldn't be so uncomfortable. And her friends are going to be telling her, oh, you shouldn't right. be so uncomfortable. We want to tell her, no, no, don't ignore that discomfort. Pay attention to that. And it's so funny because I think in your book, you even mentioned where these guys get this behavior. And it's through the media. It's through books they read. It's through other men and how they treat their wives and women it's 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 a culture and it's you know just as people are becoming entrepreneurs or executives and just life happens it just amazes me because I brought up that I was in a shelter you know down here in New Orleans because I had to get away and rebuild my life but there's like women I heard that were executive wives that was in the shelter it's so pervasive from every socioeconomic level 
how pervasive this is. And I just think that this really needs to get out there. And a lot of people don't like to hear negative. You know, they're like, oh, it's so negative. You know, I don't want to hear anything bad, but it's so needed. And that's why I chose to do a podcast because I want to talk about those taboo topics that are very uncomfortable to have. You know, I live life and I have children and, you know, you know, I want to get back out there in in long time from now and, and get into another good relationship but I have to heal myself first and watch for those signs in myself on on who I attract but I really think the work needs to get out there because people are are suffering silently because it's so taboo um but that was just my thought about I don't know if you have any input on that on what I just said well I'm absolutely I mean I feel like I have a huge commitment to a positive positivity and a, and a positive outlook on life and a positive way of living. And in fact, I've written a new book that just came out a little over a month ago called the joyous recovery. That's all about emotional healing, not even just about healing from abuse, but for, and it's not even just for women. It's for any, everybody about sort of the key principles of emotional healing in general. Mm-hmm. And I obviously believe in a really good life and I've lived a really right. good life. But I don't think we have a really good life by avoiding talking about painful subjects. And in fact, I think that's if we if we avoid talking about painful subjects, they're going to come up behind us and they're going to strangle mm-hmm. us. And the 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 only way we can live a really positive life is by making sure that we're devoting a substantial portion of our life to dealing with negativity. It doesn't have to be 60 percent of our lives. It probably doesn't right. have to be 20 percent of our lives. Some, but some we have to set aside some substantial, substantial. Period to look at the hard stuff or it's right. Pass. And also there was a point in your podcast that you brought out um, because typically my audience is women. Of course, I have some men that pop in and out and, and more typically because I'm African-American, um, my audience is African-American women. And so there was a statistic or some research that you did that stuck out to me that <laughs> it, it it, it shouldn't make me laugh, but it's absolutely true because I've witnessed it. I, you know, you said that in the African-American community, you found out that women tend to fight back. You know, they, you know, even though they're being abused and financially sexual, they tend to fight back physically, you know, to their abuser. So is there a reason why or is there a statistic that show that it's higher in the African-American community? And if so, like, do you know what the culprit is of why it's so pervasive? No, I mean, the, the, the research evidence actually is pretty persuasive that it's not higher. in the OK, community. the the um, I think I mean, there's there's sort of multiple factors here. One is uh for, for various reasons, domestic violence is more noticeable. I don't, I'm not saying it's more common. I'm saying it's more noticeable in lower income families. And since, since African-Americans live way more than white people do at mm-hmm. low income, it, it, makes, it makes the violence in African-American uh, families stand out more. And so it's easy for people to point right. fingers and say, oh, look, there's so much violence in African-American oh, families. Yeah. No, it's just, right. that that, it's just you're right. seeing it. It's just because you're seeing it. And uh, white folks tend to have a lot more ways to keep it all hidden. And so that's one factor. Um, another factor is uh, so much of white culture is rooted in British Isles background where everything is kind of kept hidden. Ah. And so like, for example, uh, it's, it's not too common for, and I'm from that British Isles kind of background. It's not too common from a guy from my culture to say, 
well, you know, you got to slap your woman around once in a while or she's going to not know her place. That doesn't mean that people from my background think that way a drop less. Right. It's just that they don't come right out and right. say it. Because I'm from a culture where they don't come right out and say anything. Right. And in our culture, it's like, keep it real. <laughs> you know, we kind of like l- let a lot more things hang out in groups than probably other cultures as far as I don't know but you know it's this whole keep it real thing so in even in music even in the music and the hip-hop music there's a lot of violence against women so yeah and that's my that's my impression as an as an outsider is that is that cultures where it's kept more real are easier to right right and I mean I can't even think of a better term but you know it's it that's just what I got from what you just said but at the same time like you said it's more of a cultural thing where things are kept within the house and it's not it's not let out and so when someone actually told me that there was executives that were in the shelters it's just like how pervasive this is happening even at, at white collar levels where they have maybe millions of dollars in their household but they're still being financially and, and physically abused but um what are what are some of the warning signs that you would probably throw out there for women who could possibly be going through domestic violence silently or, um, or, and, and people to recognize from family member standpoint, or if someone's dating, what are some of the signs that a woman needs to take heed of if they're thinking about dating this guy, but they have this feeling on the inside of their stomach, like something's just not right. So there's a good list of things to look out for, but I'll, I'll highlight some things. First of all, uh, I already said it, but I'll say it again. Watch out for control. Control is bad news. And next, watch out for jealousy. A lot of times we think jealousy is a sign of how much somebody loves somebody else, and it's not. It's a sign of an ownership kind of mentality. You can A guy can love a woman half to death and not be jealous of right. her at all. That it's, and a guy can be crazy jealous who doesn't love her. In fact, he's thinking only about mm-hmm. himself. So watch out for jealousy and possessiveness. That's another really top warning sign. Um, watch out for double standards. Like he's got different rules for his own behavior than for you, yours. Like it's, for some reason it's okay if he does something, but it's not okay mm-hmm. if you do it. Um, uh, watch out for someone who's where, I mean, this is in, in a way it's in the control category, but someone he just always has to have his way and he's totally bent out of shape. Uh, watch out for a guy where, if it always turns back around so it's your fault like you have a complaint about this or you have a complaint about that or you're asking him you're trying to raise a grievance you're trying to ask him could he do such and such a thing differently or would he stop doing certain things that bother you and somehow those things just always get turned back on to turn out to be something wrong with you in his eyes he's always turning it back around um watch out for heavy alcohol or heavy drug use you know, moderate is not a problem, but if that use is heavy, that's there's some overlap between substance abuse. There are plenty of, unfortunately, partner abusers who aren't substance involved, but there is some overlap there. Um, watch out for a guy who scares you, even if he's got an excuse afterwards. Oh, it's just because I was so mad or I wasn't trying to scare right. you. I was just trying to do like, like one of the, a lot of times I'll say, I wasn't trying to scare you. I was just trying to make you listen. It's like, well, why, you got no right to try to make me listen either. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell um, you where my pitfall is when I date. They come on very strong at the beginning. And it's like, wait, you know, pump your brakes. Like, I love you. You know, I want you to be my woman. I, you know, I want to date you. 
And, you know, there's a split second moment and I'm thinking, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this. I don't want to, you know, it's kind of knowing my boundaries and, and learning to say this behavior is way too aggressive at the beginning. Am I correct? It, yeah. And just for an example of that, someone who really loves you in like, in like a meaningful sense of the word love, like a real, you know, love, like that it means something, wouldn't want you to have sex before you were comfortable right. having sex. So anyone who's pressuring you for sex that you're not ready for is thinking about himself. He's not thinking about you and that's not mm-hmm. love. And so when he says, oh, it's because I love you so much I'm, is why I'm putting you under all this pressure to get in bed. It's like, no, that shows you're not loving anybody but yourself. You know, you're not even thinking right. about it. So, so the, yeah, the coming on strong tends to be a real sign of um, not, not, think, not thinking about you. Unfortunately, it often comes in this package of, oh, I'm coming on so strong because I think you're so amazing. You're the most incredible woman. You're the most beautiful woman. It's like, well, if you really think about me, then you're going to respect my boundaries. And I'm glad you used the word boundaries, April, because these guys are invaders. Right. And I have to practice that. Like, I literally need to get boundaries where I'm like, yes and no. He passed this boundary. Absolutely not. I'm not going to date him or I'm not going to give him my number or whatever. You have to have boundaries. Um, and, and that's something that I'm afraid of moving forward in relationships. It's like, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a people pleaser so much, but I am a people pleaser to the person that I'm dating. You know, I want to keep them happy, you know, but it's like, I have to keep myself happy before I have to put myself first before the other person. And for, for, for women who are still in the early part of a relationship and if, and if they're, you know, and they would like to know before it's too late, cause it's so much harder to get out later on uh one of the things you actually need to do is be uncooperative sometimes Mm. you have times you have to have times when you challenge him when you stand up to him when you don't when you don't want to do what he wants to do when he bought the tickets for such and such a thing as a surprise but he didn't ask you and you say well actually i thank you that was sweet except i actually don't really like that kind of music and maybe next time you should check with me and and and, a, you know, a, a good guy is going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. I should I should have made sure you were into that kind of music or <laughs> or uh, or oh, or, oh, sorry, you know, I'll get exchange for the tickets. And the controller is going to say, oh, I do this special thing for uh, for you for tonight. And that's the thanks I get is that you don't like that band, you know, and, or you don't like that singer. And, and it's all, you know, it turns all about him. So so challenging a partner, standing up to a partner, being uncooperative in certain ways early in a relationship during that nice phase when you don't really want to do that, when, you know, when everything is pretty is really important because that's what separates the, the abusers from the good guys is what, how they respond to being. But it's, that's funny because that's true. I've never thought about it that way in, in, in that light, but, but there's something else I picked up in your book and it says that they're very good at using and, and learning you as a subject, you know? And so they know what, what ticks with you or what you like and they can kind of be a chameleon and turn into exactly what he feels in his brain that you want in a Prince Charming. So it's kind of like they can manipulate you in that way. But I think that's more in the beginning stages before they feel like they sealed the deal with you with marriage or they feel that you're committed to them. They kind of change into this person that can be very attracted to you, but it's all like for show. And I do think there's certain things that are harder for them to fake than others. Like, like it's easy for them to fake that 
well, it turns out you're really into science fiction, so suddenly he's really into science fiction. Like that's pretty easy mm-hmm. to say. Or, or you're really into this particular TV show, so suddenly he's really into that show. But other things are harder to fake. Like, it, like, uh, you know, you really want to be treated with respect. The that's and, if, and he's a guy who's got some really disrespectful habits, the way abusers do. Well, that's going to be a harder thing for him to fake. And and but we really do have to think carefully and I encourage everybody to think carefully about what does respect mean for you? Because respect to some people, respect means like uh, kowtowing to a person, like making sure to open all the doors and bring them flowers. And and to me, respect is like actually seeing the person as a human being Mm -hmm. and and under actually being actually understanding who they are and understanding the ways that they're different from Mm -hmm. you. And being okay with that. Like, if he's trying to make himself just the same as you, that's not a good sign. And when, 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 a, when a woman says, oh, I can tell he really loves me, I always want to say, okay, but does he respect you? Does, do you feel seen by him? Mm-hmm. Like, like, sometimes he's making compliments, and the woman knows those compliments aren't really about her. Yeah! Like, like, like he'll say, oh, you're so such and such, that's great. And she'll think, no, I'm not. <laughs> that's right. Not, that's I don't even have, I mean, I'd, I, that's not even one of my, I have some good qualities, but the ones he's saying, it's not even the ones I've got. Right. And, and that just shows again that he's not really seeing. Right. Me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I could go on and on forever, but I really want people to, to look you up and find these books because this particular book has so many tips. Like, for example, an abuser, it, they pick and choose kind of what they want to control. And a, a big thing that, in relationships that men can control is the TV. They can blow up over the television. They may not control when you come in and out of the house, but once it comes to that television, it's all it, it's on. If you touch that television or if you change it, it's on. Like it's so many points in this book that I can just throw out there, but we only have an hour, but I just, you know, I'm amazed at you. I'm amazed at how you just kind of just took this field on by storm. And probably it doesn't feel that way to you, but if, if people research you and read this book and how you say the women aren't believed and how you would talk to these men during the counseling sessions and they would be angels or say, oh, woe is me. And then you would hear the wife when they call go home and they're telling you this totally different story. It's, it's, it's just the way that you took this on. I just, for you to even be a man, I think that's what's pretty shocking to me that that you even took the time to look so deeply into this subject, because I tell you when I can, I can talk to someone and I'm getting in and I'm telling them, Oh, well, why are you here in new Orleans? And if it's a person that I'm building a relationship with and, and somehow the story comes out, they'll say, I went through that too. And don't go back to them. And I'm going to tell you one thing. when I was in the shelter, um, I really wish that I had a little bit more counseling, but of course there's budgets in the shelter, but there was this one lady that was a counselor and she came in on Wednesdays and she, she's like, there's this, this painting therapy. And she's like, April, just take the paintbrush. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm sitting here. And she's like, just talk. And I kind of was talking and I said, you know, I'm down here and he hasn't called, he hasn't checked. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get out of this situation, but for some reason, my brain is going back to him. You know, why, is he not checking on me? And she said, April, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know you, but if you go back to that man, you will be unsuccessful in life. 
She said, if you move forward every day, one foot at a time, you will be successful. And if you go back, you will be unsuccessful. Now, for some reason, I guess intuitively, I know that. But for her to say that to me, it it doesn't matter if he thinks about me 1,000 times in that day. If I go back to that situation, I would be unsuccessful. So it's just so many emotions and and getting over what I've went through. And this podcast really helped me therapeutically to just kind of talk about what I'm going through. But it's just such a journey um, for women in this society, the way we grow up, you know, how we're supposed to be meek, how we're supposed to please, you know, our spouses. It's just this whole convoluted thing. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, Lundy, I want to thank you for taking on this subject and making it your own and, and, and making it a day-to-day practice to get this message out there. I really appreciate your time and for you to get on this podcast. But before we get off, is there anything that you want to convey to my listeners? Um, where can they find you? Can they email you? Do you have a website? How can my listeners reach out to you? And um, if there's anything else you want to say? Well, the... Um... Uh, I have two websites, uh, LundyBancroft.com and uh, PeakLivingNetwork.org. The LundyBancroft.com is the, is the abuse-related website about abusive relationships, and the PeakLivingNetwork.org is the, is the healing site. There's some healing information on the LundyBancroft.com site, too, but it's specifically about healing from abuse. And then the peaklivingnetwork.org site is all kinds of information for everybody about healing in general and the and about the new. The, actually, both sites I guess have information about the new book, the Joyous Recovery. Um, the uh, it's unfortunately I get way too many calls and emails. There's way more than I can possibly respond to, which I feel bad about. So there's not really a reliable way for people to reach me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish I could, but unfortunately I have to always encourage people to go through their local domestic right. violence programs, uh, because unfortunately I can't be a sort of one person hotline. Like PSA, I, what... I barely, I barely <laughs> could get you in the podcast because you're like, April, I'm not doing the smartphones, you know? And I'm like, you know what? I think I need to go backwards 20 years too and get rid of the smartphones from all the distractions. So that was pretty, pretty cool to hear that. Uh-huh. I have a, I do have a team of volunteers that, that returns calls that I get about in child custody because the one way that the abuser really tries to hurt women sometimes is then try to take Oh my gosh, away. that's a whole other conversation, um, women with children. Yeah, and I'd be happy it's a way to, that they still, be, like, they still try to abuse through the children even after a marriage is over or a relationship. Yeah, exactly. So um, the... You're the thing you were just saying about that counselor saying to you, like your life is just not going to progress is that's such a valuable way of framing the question. Like what kind of life do you want to lead? Where do you want your life to go is such a different. Yes, question it is. Than like, well, but he still loves me or, but I still love him. It's like, that's fine. If he still but, loves you, that's but fine. How is it working out for him. you right now? Like really? How's your life? How's your, your life yes. matters. Like you, you are a human being that counts. And you cannot be a martyr. Like your life is not to be sacrificed. And in fact, what I would argue now, and I'm saying this much more strongly than I did maybe 20 years ago, is the world now is at a time in history when we need the best from everybody because we've got some serious problems to address in the coming couple decades. We need everybody at their absolute best. The, so look at your relationship and say, is the, am I at my best when I'm in this wow. relationship? Or is it when I, you know, because if not, the world needs more than that. From yeah. Me. No more settling. And, um, no more settling. 
Yeah, it's, this is this is urgent. And then the last thing I would say is, I feel like my role in many ways has been to be a spy on the other team. Somebody a few years ago said, "Oh, you're like you're like came for, you like snuck over from the other yeah, team and gave us." That's their the play- way I feel like he's on my team. Yeah, and I got the, I, I got the other team's playbook, and I'm and so that's my feeling. Like my job as a man is to like give the is to is to give the secrets of my team secrets away do. to the other side. And one of the secrets I want you to know about men is they're not helpless. Yeah. Uh, when they're like, oh, I can't, this is the best thing, or I can't help myself, or I'm sorry I treated you like that. It's like, no, you're not helpless. You want them to stop behaving that way, you could, you're perfectly capable of stopping behaving that way. You want to change your attitudes, you're perfectly capable of changing your attitudes. You want to treat a woman with decency and respect, you're perfectly capable of doing that. You're not helpless. Stop playing the, oh, you're so fragile thing. You know, how, I don't know if you hear about people talking about white fragility, but but the men do the same routine that white people do. Of like, oh, I'm so fragile. It's like, oh, yeah. Fragile. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, if I'm at work because I'm African-American and, like, I'll speak my mind and, and I'll stand in my stance and it's like, oh, you're being so aggressive towards her. Really? If You know, I'm, you know, it's nothing like that. So I understand that perception as well. Like, come on, the white fragility thing. Get over it. Yeah. So it's the same thing with men. It's like. I'll, I'll just look right in a guy's face sometimes and say, cut it out. You're not that fragile. You're not helpless. You don't have, you don't have to be behaving in these ways. You don't have to be just. Well, you know, Lundy, I want you to continue to walk in your path. I want you to continue because it absolutely saved my life and it saved my children's life. And hopefully I broke the cycle because now my kids will know that I, you know, picked up our whole life and changed it based on this event that happened in my marriage. So continue to walk in your path and help other women like myself and in the future, um, you know, hopefully women will get your book, go to your website, get some good tidbits. Um, but I do want to thank you for your time. I really do. Thanks so much for having me on, April. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. And to all my listeners, once again, if you can please download the Anchor app, um, you are able to leave comments. If you like this podcast today, you can leave comments. Um, and also, this is the last podcast of the season. So I will be picking back up in the fall. I will be taking time off to be with my children. But you can still reach out to me on Instagram and Facebook under April Rose Speaking. And uh, yeah, thank you for an awesome, awesome season. And I look forward to speaking to you guys in the future. Have a good day. Bye. Okay, April Rose listening speakers, you just listened to the last episode of this season. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, a lot of information was given out in this season, and um, there's going to be some really good topics to come in the fall. So hang on tight. Um, and in the last interview, you heard Mr. Lundy Bancroft, absolutely great author, uh, advocate for domestic violence. Uh, and you can reach him at the websites that were mentioned inside the podcast. But I just wanted to touch on a f- couple points before I ended the podcast because um, we talked about a lot of the signs. But what do you do when you figure out that you're in this situation? How do you get out of it? And I only have a few points for you um, that I really wanted to just kind of stick in your mind. Um, and that would be basically the first thing is to possibly reach out to counselors. You may feel like you don't know for sure if you're in an abusive relationship, but you may have a feeling that you are. Um, maybe reach out to some counselors in your community to kind of help you sift through your feelings and emotions. And it'll give you time to really figure out what path you need to take. 
Um, also, if you do feel like you're in a very extreme and abusive situation, please look up shelters immediately um, to see if you can find somewhere safe. Um, and if you feel like you do not need a shelter, but you do have family members that would would help you get back on your feet or, or provide a safe space for you and your children if you do have them um, reach out to family and friends to see if you could stay with them to get out of immediate danger and the number one thing I would probably mention um, the last thing on the list is to please reach out to the domestic national domestic violence hotline at 1-800-799-7233 again the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Um, these are trained professionals to help you um, if you are in a domestic violence situation. So again, I want to thank you all for following me on this journey. Um, I want you roses who are out there listening to me. And I, you know, I think of that term roses because it's such a beautiful flower. It blooms. But if you're, if you're being held too tight or being controlled you know, push back, take that power back with those thorns. You can do it. Um, So please, roses, continue to bloom, continue to live life. You are beautiful. You You are seen by me. And I will be back with you guys in the fall. Enjoy. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to April Rose Speaking. Bye.